0: The Ministry of Graceview Church. In South Haven, Mississippi. On graceviewchurch.org. At (laughs) graceviewchurch.org. Let's hear from Pastor Chris. Today we're going over the most famous Bible verse in the world. Who knows what it is? Why do we know it? college football. That's right. And does it say what people tend to think that it says? Well, no, probably not, but it doesn't say anything bad. It is Jesus after all. And today we are going to be talking about evangelism and how to share your faith with other people. This is probably the question I get more than any other question. And I've probably talked to all of you about this at one time or another. The answers are very simple. The answers are very obvious. The doing of it incredibly difficult. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, As we look into your word today, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes and a deep understanding, that you would enliven our hearts by the power of your spirit. Lord God, that you would just strengthen us in this way as to be able to receive these things so that we might give them away to a wanting and hurting world. And we thank you for this great honor in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Did any of you get saved? You can generally tell where a person's theological or denominational background is from by whether or not they got saved i mean some of you grew up in church you know you're baptized before you've always been a christian and then you got the got saved people that includes me i got saved and got saved people tend to be a little bit more excited about it got saved got converted got born again got the holy ghost we might dance i know this presbyterian church but y'all know i came up pentecostal and that's the way we did it back then let me ask you this because it's one of the most important questions you ask people when they talk about sharing their faith. First of all, I've been here a few years now. Almost all of you have brought somebody to church. So you all already know that is a great methodology. The just bring them to church, let the pastor do it methodology. It's not wrong, is it? I mean, if Jesus was preaching, wouldn't you bring them to Jesus, right? If the elders happen to be there and they're good at this kind of thing. So bringing them to the church is not actually a wrong answer at all in any way. You know, because I've been bringing it up for a long time. They're having me do things at Presbytery. They're going to have me preach the sermon tomorrow night at Presbytery about these things. The old Presbyterian way of doing church is making a huge comeback. People love it. Here's the problem. They think it's new. They think they just thought it up. Hey, what if we have smaller churches? Now get this, where everybody knows each other. Don't get scared yet. And then the smaller churches are connected to each other by a network. And they get together from time to time to talk about the issues and theology. And the Presbyterians are going, we've been saying that for 500 years. But now it's like a movement. So that's the thing. All y'all know each other sometimes. When you bring a person in from outside, it's hard for them to make a headway, right? So you have to be also open to others. There are people in your life right now, probably you're cataloging in your head right now, you've got a person, you've got a son-in-law, you've got a cousin, you've got a neighbor, a neighbor with a bad dog, a neighbor that bugs you, and you want to bring Jesus to them, and it's scary. This is that number one thing, your fear. Your fear of judgment, judgment, your fear of bad feelings, your fear of awkwardness, your fear of having to see them in the grocery store after you're out. Oh, I remember her. She's one of those Jesus freaks. She cornered me one time and told me all about Jesus for like 15 minutes. It was the worst 15 minutes of my life. And this fear of the world and this fear of judgment is nothing new to anybody It's in the Bible all the time. But you have to remember, in case you haven't read Fox's Book of Martyrs, people much more holy and righteous than we have laid down their lives and have died the death unto Christ just for that opportunity to make their witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Frankly, when you read the stories, there's a lot of people that the best gospel ever preached was tied to a stake with fire coming up from below. And they proclaimed the Lord Jesus and people heard and people were changed. Now, hopefully, the Lord our God does not require that kind of benefit from us before the gospel goes out, but it has happened time and time again in history. The first thing that you must do is fear God more than you fear people around you. The judgment of the crowd, the things they will think about you, things they will say about you, didn't they do all that to Jesus? For goodness sakes, they crucified him. For religion, this small matter of religion, it is good to be seeing that we're crawling back to a day when people are willing to live and die for something as small as religion. You're looking at all these things happening in, in the, the Near East and Eastern Europe, and that, and a lot of these things have religious overtones. You know that the Russian Empire was traditionally a Christian empire, right? And they were rubbing up against a Muslim empire. And so religion had a lot to do with the politics and the lay of the land of that region, the United States has been traditionally a Christian country without that many Christians in it. So it's it's kind of strange. At the same time, God's normal methodology for bringing people into the church is one Christian telling another person where to find water. To be able to capture ourselves in such a way, uh, you know, they have those definitions of courage, right? Every once in a while, you'll get one of the guys from the First and Second World War, Vietnam, these different places, and they'll tell you about courage. And one of the things they never say is, I wasn't scared. Because courage isn't not being scared, it's doing what's right or necessary for the best of those around you when you're really scared. The fear is not necessary, the fear is not good, but you must capture it in yourself and identify it. You must be able to say to yourself, I'm afraid of what this person will think of me if I go to them and tell them about Jesus. Once you know it and have named it, you can conquer it and overcome it. Here's the way you conquer the fear. That the hope and joy and experience of Jesus Christ in you is so much more powerful than the fear that holds you back. You know what you know. You already know their eyes can't see the things that you see. Their ears can't hear the things that you hear. Their mouths are stopped in a certain trait of life and you can speak beyond these things. You see and understand spiritual things. They do not. So, frankly, once in a while, you might come off a little kooky. Talking about angels and demons, I believe in so many things that these people do not believe in. They have no idea, really, right? They just think I have this fixation with the fact that an ancient itinerant Jewish preacher rose from the dead. But it goes way beyond that. I believe in a God that created the universe by his all-powerful word. I believe that rising from the dead is an intermittent thing that happens from time to time, not just with Jesus. I believe in angels and demons in an unseen realm. I believe that when somebody closes their eyes to this world, they immediately open their eyes upon the Father. I believe in life after death. I believe in ghosts. I believe in all of it. So talking about Jesus is really almost small potatoes, Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But look at what happened before that, the context for the conversation. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Verse seven, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. There's many places in the Bible That will get very explicit with you that whether or not someone else comes to the Lord and whether or not they're regenerate and come to spiritual life from spiritual death is not dependent on you at all. It is not in your power to raise the dead. You know what? The Apostle Paul, it wasn't in his power either. Peter, when he took the cripples and he made them walk, it was not in his power. It was the power of God working through and in him. How many times have you taken little children with you to help you make a cake? And how many times have they been helpful in that process? It's a mess, right? Any of you still have the nice old big beater with the steel drum on it? And it's got those big things. You can put a kid on that. You're going to have batter all over the roof. Why do you let them participate in the doing of things? Not because they are so great at the things but you love them and you include them in these things so they can learn to do them for themselves and participate in the process of the making of the cake. God does not need you to make a convert. You might remember the story of a guy named Saul. Not King Saul, another Saul. And his job was to be the prosecuting attorney at the trial of Christians for leaving Judaism and entering into Christian faith for believing that Jesus had risen from the dead and his job was to prosecute them and make sure that they got the death penalty there was a time when an early christian leader he was going to be stoned to death on the sake of jesus and Saul stood there and watched everybody's cloaks while they threw rocks at him till he was dead and then, as he's on the way to Damascus to go to the trial of another Christian, a blinding light comes from him from heaven and burns his eyes. And they could hear the voice, but they couldn't tell what was being said. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says to him, I don't even know who you are. He says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And at that moment, Saul is called by God, and he is transformed, and he is changed, and he becomes the most zealous evangelist in the entire New Testament other than Jesus himself. Sixteen of the books of the New Testament are written by Saul, murderer of Christians, now that he is Paul, apostle to the Gentiles. You see the change that the intervention of Jesus into his life did. When you go into conversation with somebody... You've already been told to be a light and a witness to the world. Why would you think God is not doing that right now in this place at this time? Put all of your confidence in God and none of it in yourself. You can't convert anybody. But what if God has chosen to allow you, and I'll use his phrase, you of little faith, to take part in making the cake of his kingdom? What if he has chosen to let you have that honored role of the presentation of the gospel that he's going to use by the power of his spirit to draw people into his kingdom? Has very little to do with you. And yet in the Bible it teaches that those who do these things, they cover over a multitude of sins and there will be rewards for them in heaven, not because of their power, their ingenuity, their ability, their good arguments, but just because they took part in the progress of God's kingdom on the earth. Christian, we need to be an evangelistic people because Jesus said the fields, they're white with the harvest. As far as the harvest, the harvest is huge. As far as the workers, the workers, they're few. Every one of you knows someone that needs to be testified to. You guys might not think I keep track because I don't write things down and that kind of stuff, but I remember every person you've ever brought to this church. I know exactly which ones of you are like ultra agro hostile evangelists and which ones of you are not. I understand that you're already doing this. This isn't a thing to tell you because you're not doing it. This is a thing to encourage you to continue doing it and to know that you will succeed if you do the work. Uh, I was talking to the guys the other day, and one of the things they used to have me do is train evangelists because when I was a kid I traveled the country I traveled all over doing evangelistic meetings the kind that Presbyterians don't do but you know the Pentecostals and the evangelicals they're okay with it so went place to place people came we told them the gospel and all of that kind of thing and one of the things that I do is when I talk to them I do this right I say have you ever made a convert and if they say no I ask them why in the world would you want to be an evangelist if you can't be an evangelist in South Haven, you're not going to become an amazing evangelist in India. You're just not. If you're trying to teach the Bible and no one will listen to you and you don't have the zeal to continue to push and push and push until you have people that are willing to receive the word of God from you, it's not going to happen if you get in a pulpit. There's no super magic that happens from standing beside this block of wood. That's not the way that works. But if you're willing and you're zealous and you're trained and you're able, God will send people to you to hear the gospel from your lips. You got to ask him, though. He's not passive in this. If he knows that you're going to be lackadaisical and lazy in it, and you're going to be scared and you're not going to do it, how many people is he going to send you, right? He can't keep sending you people for you to ignore, but if you want it in your heart of hearts and you desire it and you're zealous for it and you're like, God, I just want to tell them your gospel. Just let me tell them your gospel. If your child asks you for bread, do you give him a scorpion? Do you give him a stone? If you're zealous for the things of God, will he not make you successful in this endeavor? If you love the gospel more than anything and you want to give it away, will he not find people to receive it? This is your part in the process as the intermediary between God and his work in the world. You are the mouthpiece for Jesus, and isn't that amazing and wonderful? I told you many times, if the church stopped here, and this entire generation died out, the church would die out in a single generation. But it's been going on for 2,000 years, and it has not been because of princes and swords, or because of priests and priests. Wearing flowing robes and shiny hats. It has been because of the people that share their faith on an ongoing basis with their children and their grandchildren and their neighbors and the communities that come together around Christ, and they are made better for it. Here he says this. Nicodemus from verse 9, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. It's amazing how often that happens. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness of what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God is doing the work. We're simply receiving the benefits. As for what's going to happen next in this church, uh, I don't know, but I suspect we're growing fast, but we're not just growing fast. We're growing strong, and there's a difference. I've got churches I've worked with for more than 30 years. Some of them... You're able to do things, you can make them grow fast and big and then they collapse with thunder when they break into factions and disputes and different fighting people and this and that and the other thing and all of a sudden, you know, maybe there's five churches. Most of them go back where they came. Strong growth is different than fast growth. Strong growth is when the people of God come together for a common purpose in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they love each other, and they take care of each other, and the church grows in strength and power. Now, power is a dangerous word to use in regard to the gospel. Here's why. People think of occult properties and pagan religion. When I say you have power in you, I don't want you to think it's something weird, Because you don't actually have any power and you kind of know it, right? But does the gospel have power? Does the gospel carry its own power given by... Is God powerful? Is the proclamation of the gospel powerful? Well, it's powerful in that God uses it to bring his people. And so has he given you an amount of power to be put out into the world to bring people to him? There's power in the blood. We all sing the song, right? Power in the blood. Did you know that you're a means and a vehicle for the power of God when you bring forth the gospel and you tell it to people? There's power available, just not your power. Now, occult properties of power, that's what you see in the popular books and like Barnes & Noble where they tell you just speak it into existence. You have this power, right? You don't have no power. The Holy Spirit has power. And he will give it to you upon due occasion. Do you remember the advice given to the apostles when they were sent out to convince the world of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He even said, don't even prepare what you're going to say. Now that might even be more scary for you. Not telling you not to prepare, you should prepare. But he even told them, don't prepare what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and everything you need to say will be given to you. God has his own power. You don't have to generate your own. Fine-sounding arguments can convince the mind, but they fail to do any due damage to the heart. Submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and show the love of God to people and, he, and ask him and he will give you opportunity to share him into the world in a way that will transform it inevitably in due time. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we pray that you would make every one of us an, an evangelist, That there's somebody, Lord God, that we can share the gospel of Jesus with in a way that is loving and caring and inoffensive and yet at the same time, Lord God, that you might choose to use through your power, working powerfully within us, Lord God, to bring about their resurrection spiritually from the dead, to make them from a thing that's dead into a thing that's alive, to take their heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh. We praise you and thank you for this great blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. For next hymn is number 165. Do not do the number that's in your order of service. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's 165. You're listening to the Ministry of Grace View Church. You can reach us at graceviewchurch.org. You've been listening to Pastor Chris at Graceview Church in South Haven, Mississippi. Reach us at graceviewchurch.org. At graceviewchurch.org. At graceviewchurch.org.